Welcome to episode 323 of Live Happy Now. Last year, poet Maggie Smith gave us the book we needed with the bestseller, Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change. This year, she's back with a new book that helps us rediscover the magic of living in the moment. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and today Maggie is here to talk about her new book, Goldenrod, which explores some common themes such as parenthood, gratitude, solitude, love, and loss. Let's hear what she has to say about these universal themes and how she's learned to live in the moment. Maggie, thank you so much for being on Live Happy Now. Well, thanks for having me. You know, you are our first poet. We have had authors, we've had musicians, we've had a lot of psychologists, and we've never had a poet before. So you're making live happy history right now. <laughs> I'm honored to be the first. <laughs> well, and deservedly so, because, you know, your poetry has really struck a chord with audiences around the world. And poetry is a tough genre, because unlike writing fiction, you don't have a lot of ramp room to, you know, catch their attention. You really have to get them from the beginning. So what is it that has allowed you to be able to just really reach out and touch people with your poetry? That's a funny question because I feel like that's really for the reader to answer. I can't <laughs> say, you know, I don't know necessarily what it is that makes someone attach to one of my poems. I know what it's like for me to feel a sense of accomplishment once I've written it, like feeling like the poem has sort of done what I wanted it to do or said what it came to say. But what I've heard from readers is that the poems sort of strike a chord with them or maybe articulate something that they've thought or felt or an experience they've had, but they haven't put it into words for themselves. And so that's what we as poets do is kind of try to distill and crystallize maybe like a larger experience into smaller, concise package. Yeah, it's so much like songwriting in, yeah. in that nature. And so what is it that drew you to poetry as opposed to any other form? Songs, quite honestly. Right. Um, yeah, I was really writing poetry before I was reading it, which seems a little counterintuitive and backwards. One should probably learn their craft before attempting it. But <laughs> I really, I don't think I knew what I was writing. I don't think I knew it was poetry. I had just been listening to my parents' record collection a lot as a kid. And I would sit and listen to the Beatles or, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young or Dan Fogelberg or Joni Mitchell you know, all of that good 70s and 60s kind of singer songwriter stuff and try to transcribe the lyrics. So I would sit and write down the metaphors that I was hearing in these songs. And I think really listening to music was what gave me the permission to write things that didn't have plot or necessarily character or rising action. It could just describe something or create a feeling. You know, and as you say that now, it makes perfect sense having read your work and hearing your inspiration from songwriters and OK, now I see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there that's, it is. that's beautiful. And, you know, I know you've got a new book out, Goldenrod, that we're going to talk about. And that's why you're here. But I feel I would be remiss if we didn't spend a little bit of time talking about last year's release, which was Keep Moving. And oh my gosh, that was so timely and was really exactly what the world needed as we were trying to navigate COVID. So was that by design or by coincidence? That was coincidence. I mean, I wrote Keep Moving in the middle of my own sort of personal worst year, which was the year my marriage ended. And so I really started writing that book without knowing I was writing a book. I was just writing these little notes to self 
to me, little self pep talks to try to get myself through each day. And I was posting them on social media and people started reaching out and saying, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed to hear today. Or this is what got me through the last three hours of this terrible day I've had. And you should really collect these in a book. And I would really like to be able to gift this to a friend. And so the idea for the book came from readers. And the fact that it came out during the pandemic was just coincidence. That's just what happened to be uh, happening in the world the year that it was slated for publication. And I had mentioned this to you that I had a friend who, as soon as she got your book, she posted on Instagram a picture of the cover and she was so excited. And she said, this book is saving my life, you know, and that's really how people felt about it, because it did suddenly make us feel less alone. And someone else has been through a very difficult time and you're giving us kind of a map to get through it. And were you surprised by the kind of response that you had? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the book kind of saved my life. I mean, writing the book kind of saved sure, my life. Yeah. So I joke that it's sort of literal self-help because it helped <laughs> me. And so by the time the book was done, you know, before it even hit shelves, it had done its work for me personally. And so just to see it go out into the world and meet people where they were, you know, it might have been divorce or it might have been, you know, a death loss or a job loss or a diagnosis that was unexpected and scary. Or, I mean, frankly, just the pandemic hitting and all of us in quarantine, not knowing what was going to happen next and, you know, parenting through that, some of us as well. So it was incredibly humbling and gratifying to see this thing that helped me to see its ripples kind of go out into the world because you really never know, you know, with a book like that or, or with a poem or even just with an act of kindness, you know, opening the door for somebody at the store, you don't really know how far the ripples of your words or your actions will travel and getting to hear, you know, your friend, getting to hear some stories like that. It, it means a lot. And did it help inform your new book, Goldenrod, or was that already in the works? No, you know, not really. I wrote Keep Moving pretty much in the 2019. It was a really sort of quick writing it in the middle of it happening kind of writing process. And books of poems don't, at least in my experience, really come together that way. So Goldenrod is some of the poems were written during the pandemic. So there are some 2020 poems in this book, but there are 2019 and 2018 and 2017 and 2016 and 2015 poems in this book too, because I tend to just write one poem at a time, not knowing where I'm going with it, not thinking of a book, I'm not having a plan. Um, I think sometimes having a plan would scare the poem away. So yeah. to just kind of coax it out and not give it too big a job, just kind of let it come to me quietly. And then usually after a number of years, I can look into my big folder in my laptop and realize, oh my God, I've got a hundred and some poems in here. Maybe I should print them out and see which ones are in conversation and which ones seem to be wanting to travel together. And maybe there's a book to be carved out of all of that stuff. And that's really how each book is made. Yeah. And so you do have a lot of different insights and emotions in within Goldenrod. So what would you say is the theme that weaves all of them together? No, it's always tricky with a book of poems because it's called a collection for a reason, right? Like it's a collected 
bit of work over periods of time. And I'm always a little reticent to try to summarize it. But I guess if I had to, I've been thinking lately that in some ways, the sort of invisible ink, unspoken subtitle of this book is actually the opposite of keep moving. (laughs) It's be still. And so one of the things I think that comes up in almost all of these poems in one way, shape or form is the idea of paying attention, you know, the idea of slowing down and noticing and seeing things. And I think that's one of the things that poetry has to offer us. And one of the things that I go to poems for is the opportunity, the gift of learning to see something in a new way. And so I I think that's really one of the threads that kind of binds all of these things together. Yeah. And so much of this book is really about the magic of those moments that we live in. And how did you develop this practice of stopping and noticing really the wonder and what's so extraordinary about these seemingly ordinary moments? Well, it's funny. I mean, I don't have, I mean, I joke with my kids all the time because I can't actually even help them with like fourth grade math. (laughs) I'm out of my element. I'm out of my depth. So as I joke with them, I have very few sort of powers in the world, but I think metaphor is probably the one power I have. And it's not like a huge money-making power or a power that makes you really important or rich, Um, but it's a power that makes it somewhat, like it helps facilitate the writing of poems. So it's not difficult for me to take a walk in my neighborhood with my dog or with the kids and, you know, one skateboarding behind me and the other one's running up ahead and look and hear or see or sense something and have a quick comparison or analogy for what that reminds me of and sort of to let that momentum pick up. And the next thing I know, I'm jotting down some lines and maybe it wants to be over time built into a poem. And so I don't know really where that sensitivity or sort of porousness to the world around me comes from. But I think I've had that with me since childhood, really, since before I was probably formally working on poems. And if I'm honest, I would say that most kids have that porousness and that ability to sort of see things and be like, oh, that reminds me of this. Or, oh, you know, that moon looks like a Cheshire cat smile or that tree branch looks like a deer antler or whatever the comparison is. But over the years, we lose it if we don't hang on to it. We lose the sort of poetry that we all have inside of us naturally because we get busy and, you know, we're doing other things. And I feel really lucky to have held on to it all these years. Yeah. How do you nurture that? Is it just by intentionally writing daily or how do you keep that flow going? It's funny. I don't write every day. I tend to try to do something in service of my writing every day. So I might go back and revise something old, you know, one of the problem children poems of giving me fits and it doesn't seem to want to do what I want it to do. Or I might send some poems out to a journal or, you know, or do something, read, you know, I think you know, reading sort of filling the well counts as part of the writing process. Because if I'm not taking in things that inspire me, if I'm not listening to music or taking walks or reading good books, I don't have as much inside me to work with. Like that's where it comes from. So I spend a lot of time filling the well and actually not a lot of time physically putting pen to paper. And yet I think that's all kind of process. That's very interesting because we do live in a world where everyone's talking. 
<laughs> or putting things out on social media and emails and newsletters and things like that. And everyone is trying to push their words out. And so it's very interesting, the idea of refilling that well by being silent and taking that in. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, obviously my business is words, but so much of what I need to do is nothing. Like if you looked at me when I was working on a poem, it might look like I was staring off into nowhere because that I'm going someplace in my mind. I might not even be writing anything down yet. I'm going someplace in my mind. And so really what I need to be ultimately productive is a lot of what looks like you know, not very productive time, which is time spent listening and thinking and noticing and being still. And the busier I am, actually, the less productive I am because I'm not getting to that sort of place of stillness that I need to be in in which to do my work. That's profound. The busier I am, the less productive I am. I mean, don't we spend so much time just sort of like spinning our wheels? And then at the end of the day, it's like, well, I think I did everything on my quote to do list. What do I have to show for it really, except like the dry cleanings now in the closet and the dishwashers emptied? I mean, that there are different kinds of productivity. And I think the productivity I need as a poet often doesn't look like much. So I probably look like I have a semi-retired life. I just spend a lot of time in my own head. And that seems something that all of us can benefit from. Not spending time in your head, which is great, but spending time <laughs> in our own heads yeah. of just taking that. Like what kind of benefit, like beyond you get these incredible poems, but if each of us do that, what kind of response do we start having with our own imagination and our own thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's just, there's a reason why you can take a long walk in the woods and feel better afterwards. And why if you spend an hour scrolling the internet, you don't feel better afterwards. So I, I agree. I mean, I think whether you are a writer or not, whether you are a creative in any way, shape or form or not, having time where you're not multitasking, when you're sort of monotasking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that word. You know, time when you can just, you know, really lock into having a conversation with a friend and not trying to do five other things at the same time or taking a walk or listening to music or reading a book and not trying to sort of, I don't know, buy into the everything all the time mode of being, which, you know, even with the pandemic, I don't think we've gotten away from that because we're on our screens as much, if not more than yeah. we were before when we had a little bit more real life contact. So I don't know. I just feel a lot better doing sort of things that are a little bit more sort of Luddite, frankly, like reading a paper book in my rocking chair while watching people walk their dogs by my house. It might not look like much, but I'll probably get a better poem at the end of that day than at the end of the day that I spent doing a bunch of busy work. Sure. And I understand that feeling like the tactile relationship with a book of holding that. And I don't know if that's because it goes back to childhood when you started with my little golden books and it's just being oh, able yeah. to hold that and get those stories. But yeah, there's such a difference. I made a joke this weekend about I'm going to go read the paper, which isn't actually a paper. It's my tablet and <laughs> was kind of lamenting that because I miss that feeling of having that newspaper that you spread out. So that's interesting that you make that same connection. 
Yeah, I'm a real book person, but I have to say too, I also like audiobooks, especially if they're narrated by their authors. I like to hear, you know, poetry, I write it down, right? But it really is meant to live in the air, not just on the page. It's meant to be spoken. And so I love listening to poets read their work. It was a pleasure to get to narrate the audiobook of Goldenrod myself too, because if people don't want to hold the paper book or read the ebook, they can listen to me reading the poems in my own words. And I think that's also a different experience. Yeah, I think that really helps people connect with them on a, a whole new level. Yeah. So, you know, I wondered if you had any other daily practices or rituals that reinforce this ability that you seem to have to live in the moment. Well, I mean, honestly, spending time with my children helps a lot because they don't care much about the past and they're not really thinking too much about the future. Like they're sort of, they're very present livers. (laughs) (laughs) And they notice things. You know, I still live in my hometown. So it's very easy for me to become complacent. And I think for all of us to take things for granted, to walk by the same tree every day, to walk by, to walk down the same streets, to see the same sky, to feel the same weather, and to just kind of let it become furniture in your life that you're not really paying attention to. And there's something about kids where, you know, they're just orienting themselves to the world, especially when they're young and everything is new. They're not jaded. They're not, everything isn't just like, oh yeah, that again. (laughs) And so spending time with them also helps me see and experience things in a new way that maybe I wouldn't be as inclined to even as much childlike wonder as I still have, which I think I still have a lot of it. That's probably what keeps me writing, but they help instill that in me too. That's great. And I think a lot of times parents forget that we have that ability to tap into a second childhood, to see it through their eyes for the first time all over again. Oh yeah. I mean, they're great lenses through which to see the world. It's so funny. I mean, I think the difference between like having a mom who's a poet and having a mom who's not a poet is probably the non-poet mom isn't drilling you with questions (laughs) at the conservatory. Like, what do you think that orchid looks like? What does that sound remind you of? Because I'm always trying to sort of work their metaphoric muscles and get them making comparisons and trying to get their perspective on things. And, you know, it's to the point now where my daughter told me a story pretty recently and I was like, yeah, I don't know. And she's like, well, if I said it was a metaphor, would it make sense to you? Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Throwing shade. And I was like, okay, I get it. Or they'll say, yeah, mom, we know it's a metaphor. We get it. Yada, yada. So yeah, they humor me. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. (laughs) I'll send them that book. I never met a four I didn't like. Oh, I love it. It's a great book. In this time when we're still coming out of a very difficult time, for some people, it still is a very difficult time. What do you hope that Goldenrod gives us? You know, you gave us one thing with, you really gave us a map and encouragement with Keep Moving. What do you hope we find in Goldenrod? What I go to poetry for is to feel changed, to feel like I can see something in a new way or experience something in a new way, or maybe see my experience reflected and articulated in a way that I couldn't do on my own. And so, yeah, it's a really difficult time still for many of us. You know, we're still sort of in it. Mm -hmm. Even though the it we're in is a little different than the it we were in a year ago. But I hope what people pull from Goldenrod is what I pull from my most beloved books of poems on my shelf, which is the opportunity to see things in a new way and to sort of have that click that happens in a poem where you have that sort of aha moment like, oh, 
yes, I know that that feels right and true to me, even though I didn't write it or I didn't have that exact experience. Something about that sort of sings in me and feels right. That was Maggie Smith talking to us about exploring the magic of the moment. If you'd like to learn more about Maggie and her books or follow her on social media, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.